This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We are so glad to be able to spend a little bit of our day just talking about the truths of God's Word. Really, our hope is, with this whole program, is that we direct you back to God's Word, that we direct you back to just rethinking about the good news of the gospel and what does that mean? What are the implications of that for how we live moment by moment, that it's not just something that we believe when we come to faith, but that it has an ongoing effect on how we live each moment of, of our days. And so we do truly believe that it is the gospel for life, that it then changes the trajectory of, of everything about us. And hopefully, as we've been talking about gospel and salvation the last little bit, it has helped re- just re-stir up within you an affection for Jesus Christ and be thankful for the perfect work of Christ on your behalf and his ongoing work. Um, Vinny mentioned several shows again ago, these seven Foundational truths. I can't remember how you phrased it, Vinny. Yeah, so the miraculous birth, the righteous life, the atoning death, the glorious resurrection, the victorious ascension to the throne, the generous sending of the Holy Spirit, and the hope-filled return of Christ, those seven components of the gospel. And it's that generous gifting of the Spirit that just is so wonderful as a gift that in an ongoing way, the work of Christ is happening within our hearts and lives. and. And that work will continue on. I think Finney quoted Philippians 1 6 that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion, to perfection. And so it's a good hope. Um, and we live that out. Yeah, there, those elements, those seven elements are in the gospel message elements that we can turn to depending on the circumstances we find ourselves. So when we talk about the practical application of the gospel to our life, if I'm in the midst of a difficult circumstances, I need uh, the victorious ascension of Christ to the throne. I need the sovereignty of Christ to be emphasized in my life. And so I might look at that particular component. Uh, if I'm placed in a place where, man, there's just, I need, I need hope, I can look mm. to the return of Christ and him setting all things right when I suffer injustice or unrighteousness in my life as a result of the sin of others. And so for me, it's that, that pra- learning how to practically apply those elements of Christ's life, death, and resurrection to my everyday living so that I'm continually called back to faith in him. Mm. When we feel like nobody understands us, we go back to the incarnation. Yes. I mean, that's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a good word. That's almost enough for a whole show right yeah, there. Yeah. But, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Vinny, could you just, just keep going? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Andrew could put that on just on loop. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that would be great. Ten minutes. We will continue on for a little while and <laughs> ask one question today. And maybe this is something that you've – this is actually something that I, I was working through in my catechism class this last week with the kids that I have opportunity to work with in our church. And 
we were dealing with evangelism as a broad topic, but one of the questions that we talked about as a class was, how does divine sovereignty and human responsibility work together in salvation? Can you really believe in divine sovereignty and human responsibility at the same time? Aren't they in such a way that they would cancel one another out? So how would you answer that? How do these two things work together? I think um, going to the, uh, I'll use the Shorter Catechism from uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism. It talks about, um, you know, what do we partake of as far as salvation? And it mentions justification, adoption, and sanctification. And it breaks those down. And it asks, you know, what is justification? What is adoption? What is sanctification? And I'll just read the beginning of each of those answers. For justification and adoption, um, it begins the same way. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Uh, Adoption is an act of God's free grace. But with sanctification, it says sanctification is the work of God's free grace. And there's a subtle distinction there is that one God is the one who who chooses. He brings us to himself. It is his act. He is the one who is acting on us. But with sanctification, which is a part of our salvation, it's it's a work. It's a continual ongoing process. And I liken sanctification to, you know, we have a young child in our home. She was she's coming up on ten months old. So she's getting to a point now where, you know, when we dress her she doesn't struggle as much. She knows where her arms are supposed to go and she knows where her feet are supposed to go and she does the motions along with it. But we dress her like she doesn't dress herself. And um, I kind of view like, you know, sanctification along those lines of God is the one who's working. Uh, He is the one who's dressing us, but he does call us to live and to work and to work with him in that process of sanctification. Yeah, that that would follow along with what uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter two, verses twelve through thirteen. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is a there is something about divine sovereignty, you know, and there's something also about free agency. There, we're not robots. We're not automatons, you know, we're responsible creatures who make moral choices. And we don't have a free will in the sense that you can choose all the good that's out there. We are by nature, we're totally depraved. We, But we do have free agency to which we are totally responsible, morally responsible. So you've got two classic literary works. One is Martin Luther wrote Bondage of the Will, and then Jonathan Edwards wrote The Freedom of the Will. And you would say, what did they write? opposite things no they were writing exactly the same thing Hmm. but using different terminology what luther is saying is that our wills are always bound and bound according to our natures and so as those that are born into this world we have a will that is bound to our fallen nature and Hmm. so the only thing that we will choose is that which is contrary to god that we'll never choose god because our will is bound by our fallenness Jonathan Edwards would say that we have the freedom of the will, that our wills will always choose according to its nature. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that as fallen creatures, we do have freedom of the will to choose anything that we would want, but the only thing that we would want is not God. Right. 
So what both of them are saying is the same thing, and what both are saying is our wills are unbound by the work of the Spirit, regeneration, that now gives us freedom to choose according to our nature, and that regeneration creates a new life within us, and now all of a sudden we do want to choose Christ. Mm -hmm. And we do choose Christ. That's an act of our will. So human responsibility can we say that we truly choose Christ? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes, we do. Because God we have been first. born again. Yep. Yep. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, those who wrestle with this and, and really argue for a full human autonomy in this choice and decision making, and I say this carefully, but I, I, I think really we are, if we do that, we're taking for ourselves something that God doesn't even <coughs> give himself. And what I mean by that is, God, there is one thing he can't do. He cannot act contrary to his nature. Mm-hmm. He can't act contrary to who he is. And we being made in his image, we also, mm-hmm. we cannot act contrary to who we are. And it takes a miracle of God to change who we are so that we would choose. Yeah, our freedom is always limited by the higher freedom of God. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about being given freedom, it is freedom, freedom within limitation. God does not give us autonomy. Uh, we're not free to do whatever we want without being worried about judgment yeah. from on high. That has to be constrained. So it's, it, if we're going to err anywhere, we're always going to err on the side of God's sovereignty being greater than our freedom. Our freedom exists within the boundaries that God in, in his ultimate sovereignty has set. So I like the term that Jonathan used of free agents, mm-hmm. free to make decisions within boundaries that God has set. R.C. Sproul was absolutely golden on this when yeah. he would teach about human responsibility and, and, and God's sovereignty. And what he would say is that human autonomy and God's sovereignty are not opposed to one another. But he said, but you cannot say that man has ultimate autonomy and that God is sovereign because those are logically inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So what it's, you can it's say not is... A, it's not an apples to apples correspondence. It's not a yin, yin and a yang there. You know, there is, you know, God is ultimately sovereign. Uh, our responsibilities are penultimate. You know, they're, not, they're not the same. In the end, God is sovereign over all, we are, mm-hmm. you know, and that means that he orchestrates all things, he ordains all things, yet he also tells us that we're responsible to come to him. And to say that God is sovereign doesn't mean that I don't have autonomy, mm-hmm. but it does mean that I don't have ultimate autonomy, right. that my mm-hmm. autonomy is not limited in such a way. I mean, I used to teach American government to high school kids, and the amount of confusion that goes on in the, the heads of young people, which I think is probably just the amount of confusion that's just prevalent in greater society, mm-hmm. is they would look at it and say, basically, if I have a right in the, the first Ten Amendments, in the Bill of Rights, that those rights are ultimate. And I would have to go back and say time and time again, no, none of the rights in the, in the Ten Commandments are absolute. You don't have an absolute right to speech. You don't have an absolute right to press. You don't have an absolute right to bear arms. You don't have an absolute right to anything. All of the rights in the, in the, in the Bill of Rights are limited freedoms. If we have absolute rights to things, then you're sovereign. Mm-hmm. And the part of the idea of living within a society is that we give up our sovereignty mm-hmm. and yield that to the greater good. And I said the same thing is true in, in Christianity. None of us have ultimate 
autonomy because none of us are absolutely the only person that has ultimate autonomy is that who is ultimately sovereign mm-hmm. and you can't have more than one sovereign yep. by definition there can only be one we're, we're watching that confusion play out in culture today oh my right? goodness with the rejection yes. of the natural order yes. and and objective reality because yep. we believe this lie that we have ultimate autonomy so that now we can define reality based on an interior think uh, thought or feeling and then force those around us to subject themselves to my personal ultimate right. autonomy declaring myself sovereign even over other people mm-hmm. it's it's crazy yeah it's a logical fallacy yep. is what it is and it just drives me nuts that we Romans just, one. Yes, it is. out in front of us. Yeah, the rejection of the Creator for the worship of the creation. Yep. And so, just to circle back, how do divine sovereignty and human responsibility work together? Well, what we're saying, they're not contradictions. That's right. They're right. not at odds against one another. They're not even in tension because God ordains the ends of all things, yep. and He also ordain the means of those things. So He ordains prayer. So we have a responsibility to prayer. He ordains evangelism so we have a responsibility to evangelism so he ordains those things and then we have a responsibility to carry those out mm-hmm. and to me god's divine sovereignty is what gives me assurance and and trust when i'm engaged in evangelism mm-hmm. that i can say ultimately the outcome is dependent upon the work of god and i don't have to worry and fret about did i use the right technique did i use to say right. the right words did i you know when I was a kid, they made me feel like if I didn't do certain things, that people were going to end up in hell because I dropped the ball. Right. Well, even in prayer, we know that the uh, Holy Spirit perfects our prayers before the throne. We're, right. we're called to pray, but the perfection of that is in, with God. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you tomorrow.